it's cool and it's rainy in the Mountain State, at least where we are, or where I am, and it's episode 15 of Apex Live. I'm Brad, that's Steve. Hello. If it sounds like Steve's talking into a barrel, he's not. Steve is our temporary West Coast correspondent. He is in the greater Los Angeles area right now. He'll fill us in on why, just a little later. Intro music, end of summer by the 126ers. And appropriate, I think. It is almost the end of summer because we are in the middle of September. But everything's okay. West Virginia's 2-0 on this college football season. We're just a few days removed from the Gennady Golovkin Canelo Alvarez rematch that happened last Saturday. We'll recap that a little bit, give some analysis. A lot of angry people about that. We've got some life updates. We've got some show updates. Some very good show updates. And we may have another kind of update. Our more astute listeners know exactly what that means. Whenever, wherever, and however you may be listening, it's episode 15 of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Settle in. Should be a lot of fun. Steve, how you doing, my friend? Oh, just uh, sitting in my hotel bed, just chilling. So you are where? I am in Van Nuys, California right outside Los Angeles. Actually, it's in Los Angeles County, the porn capital of the world. Did you say the porn capital of the world? Oh, yeah, dude. This oh. is where all the pornos made and shit. Oh, well, that's just lovely, isn't it? I was so, hoping I would get invited, but nobody's invited me yet. What? You want to kind of have a walk-on role on one of these things? That'd be awesome. Like, go and, like, fucking look on Pornhub, but oh, there I am. <laughs> okay, so do you, do you want to do that, or you, do you just want to have the casting couch experience? Where you allow for what, the maybe you, you Me be on the couch? No, you, you bring people in to sit on the couch, and they're auditioning for you, but joke's on them, there's really not a production. It's just you and the the uh, the camera on your phone. Oh, I could do a casting bed in my hotel room. That'd be kind of... Huh? You just gave me a fucked up idea. I appreciate that. Well, you could do that, or you could do a, the casting couch, but you'd have to do it down in the lobby of the hotel at like 3 a.m. and just slip the guy running the <laughs> running the front desk a 20, something like that. He's going to be... Because he's got to run the camera. That's exactly what it is. That's, you know, that's a good point. You do need a cameraman, but does he get to, does he get to participate? No, because it's not his show. If he wanted to do that... He should have come up with the idea. Yeah, and I can always say only Mexican girls because, <laughs> well, I'm I've only seen like maybe four white faces down here. Well, you so are just outside of Los Angeles. What exactly do you expect? Well, I went to the I went to Walmart and I was like, "Holy shit, I'm the only white dude here." <laughs> it was crazy. Like, I mean, I'm not a racist person, but it felt weird being a minority. You know what I mean? It really did. It felt. Uh, well, weird, but everybody's pretty nice to me. Nobody like stare me down or call me a fucking gringo or anything like that. So, well, you know, that is the best thing about being who you are and who we are, because we're West Virginia through and through. So you can fly all the way across the country, go to Los Angeles, and where you are, I think, is just west of Los Angeles. And yeah, it's not very far. Yeah, and you still first place you're going to go Walmart. 
you still end up at Walmart, even going to Los Angeles. Oh, that's man. right. That's just perfect. What else? I don't know their fucking stores on here. I mean, but it was—it's the shittiest Walmart I've ever been into. It's, it looks like it's like Magic Mart negative like ten. It's kind of shitty. Like it's dirty. Um, it's there's no organization. Well, were you it's still here? Shit. Were you still here whenever the news broke that all the Magic Marts are shutting down? Oh yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, so they're already gone. So now you can't even say that. They're what what Magic Mart used to look like back when there was such a thing. Yeah, they look like shit. So, uh, so <laughs> they're just not all, organized. You know what I mean? Well, of course not. It, it's that's the clearance. It's one big clearance bin. I think is what those stores basically become. So first of all, why are you out there right now? Why are you in California? Because that's a valid, uh, that's a doing, valid question. Because you have no desire to be in California for one. No, not really. Um, it's job training for a generator corporation or company called Capstone. Okay. They're teaching me how to fix shit in a very fast-paced environment that I can't. My ADD keeps kicking in. And I can't remember anything. <laughs> well, I'm sure <sighs> some of it's sinking in, and you're able to make these things happen. It's not that bad. Some of it, but. You're a smart. There's guy. a lot of shit. Well, There's of a lot of shit, dude. Like, so this is the pipeline thing, right? Yeah. Well, this is they, and I, I did a little bit more research and stuff. Basically, what they do. This is a factory aspect with the office training and stuff like that. They, um, the company that I work for, is, is a uh, distributor for these generation systems, and they also provide uh, technical support and on-site repair so that's my job so it's not just for pipeline okay uh, they do this for all kinds of other shit um phoenix contact uh, they make a lot of contacts for different machines um you know they trap biogas for fuel i mean it's just basically a big generation system like the ones the ones i'm going to be working on are like 200 kilowatt systems up to a thousand kilowatts. Whoa! So that's pretty, uh, pretty decent. You know what I mean? Well, here's what makes me laugh about that statement: knowing your temperament, especially when things become a little frustrating with people—not necessarily situations, but with people. Just hearing that you are going to be involved with anything that involves what is called tech support <laughs> makes me very happy because I know how many times <laughs> I've talked to tech support on the phone. And I'm I, look. I already know what the problem is. I'm just asking you to send me the part because it's under warranty. I can install it. I can fix it. Just send me the part. Okay. Uh, have you tried to restart the machine? Okay. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to find you. I'm going to talk to you like Liam Neeson in Taken. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you if you don't just send me the replacement hard drive. Because I'm not paying $150 for it. We, we need you to go ahead and try to restart it. All right. Okay. Um, I know your name probably has 11 consonants in a row and a couple of hyphens <laughs> and apostrophes in it. And you know, maybe some tildes. I, I don't really know. But I do know this. Number one, your name is not Bill. I, I know that. Number two, I know you're reading from a screen. So let's just stop playing the game and let's click through those screens until you get to the place where it's replacement part sent to customer. And I'm going to give you my name and I'm going to spell it out like I'm in the military. 
I'll start with Bravo <laughs> and just send me the part. And I know that me, and you know me, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I have the patience of Job. They have pretty good patience. You know, if it's getting to me like that, I cannot imagine you dealing with anything of the sort. So when you say tech support, that's a little scary. Just, okay, so you're doing... It's not necessarily tech support. I mean, if they're having an issue, I'm set up uh, in a telemetry-based system. I read the trouble... Or they call me and, hey, Bob, this is doing this. And then I go to the site, check it out. So it's not necessarily tech support in that aspect of, like, walking them through, oh, you know, I, fixing shit. Oh, I understand. But, You're not you doing know. it in that regard. But just hearing you no. in the same context as the term tech support makes me very happy. Because the, the mental pictures brighten up. It'll brighten up a bad day, Steve. <laughs> so you're doing that. And that's great. But your your training is done every day at 5 p.m. your time, which is 8 p.m. our time. So you've got some yeah. free time afterwards. What are you up to out there? Because I know you got to be um, killing some time. You can't just sit in the hotel all day. Well, my colleagues, that's what they do. They just kind of sit in the room and shit. Um, I did go to the uh, La Brea Tar Pits. That was pretty cool. Oh, man, that's an iconic site. Oh, yeah, I actually stuck my hand in the fucking in the tar. It was kind of cool. Um I oh, got, yeah, I made sure I was looking. I kind of found a little open spot, stuck my hand in it. Yeah, you're, um, I don't I think you're to supposed Hollywood. to do that. No, um, I did go to, uh, it reminded me of the Beverly Hillbillies. It was kind of cool. Uh-huh. And um, I went to, um, basically, I've been, you know, restaurant shopping, looking around at that shit. Um, I went to Hollywood. I went to uh, San Diego for a minute. Go, driving towards San Diego on the 405, the mountains in the background is fucking beautiful. That's awesome. It, I mean, it just is. Well, it's the best weather um, in the world. I think Lewis. Dude, I'm telling you, it's been in 90s, mid 80s the whole time I've been here. Well, Lewis Black said that the easiest job in America is being the weatherman in San Diego. Because what's the yeah, weather? I bet. What's the weather going to be today? Nice. Back to you. And that does yeah, that nice seems relevant. That seems like it's how it would be. But at least you've got some yeah. stuff out there to keep you occupied, because I know the pace of things, in, especially in Southern California, is just constant. And I love driving here. It is so fucking hectic. Really? See, that is, that, awesome. usually people say the exact opposite if they're not used to driving in L.A. traffic. So for you to say that you I love it because it, I wasn't used to it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a new challenge. That's good. That was fun. Um, I mean, there's it's like six lanes on each side. That's like Chicago. It, it's like, and I it's found like out, Chicago. Chicago sucks, though. Don't ever go to Chicago. Oh, my gosh. So, now, you know, like, how in some movies it shows, like, somebody will have, like, a blow-up doll on the passenger side, and they're going down the freeway, like, in California. Yeah, to use, yeah, so they can use the HOV lane when they're not supposed to. Yeah, basically, if you have more than one person in your car, you can use that lane. Right. That is so fucking. That makes no sense to me. Well, why? How not? does that make any sense? Just because you got one extra person in your car, you get to be in a special lane. Well, they're trying to reward carpooling so that. Well, that's if you're fucking dating that person, like. Well, they're just trying to reward carpooling because then it's. Well, they're trying to reward more more people in one car so that. That's fewer people that are using an extra car unnecessarily, and it's all about climate change and all that fake nonsense BS. 
well, if you're going that way as a family, it's just bullshit. I mean, that's pretty much how it works. It's just worthless. I, the only thing it does for me is it makes me think, how long can I ride in this lane without getting pulled over if I'm by myself? Because I've got a clear shot. Instead it's like a $350 fine if you get caught here. Everything's a $350 fine in Los Angeles. Breathing too much yeah, is probably a fine in Los Angeles. They've already got the water laws out there for stuff for conservation. Can't dude, wash just your car. Fucking, I, I run my shower for so long. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm being an asshole. Yeah. But all their, all their water is aerated like for their showers. Mm-hmm. So it comes out like a fucking fire hose, man. Like, oh, it gave good. me chapped lips. Like My fucking lips were chapped from this shit. So it's like taking a shower inside of a water pick. Yeah, pretty much. It will fuck you up. It will definitely make you ashy. It, it'll make you itch, and your <laughs> lips are all fucked up. And I haven't been to Venice Beach yet. I probably am going to go tomorrow. Venice Beach. I mean, see, you're getting to go to all these iconic, wonderful places. I'm choosing these places, though. Now, are you getting paid I'm for like, this? Fuck yeah. They're paying you for for this training. Now, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Because They're fucking better. I wouldn't be here. Well, true enough, but still, just got to make sure you're getting paid and compensated fairly for this because that's well, a they very pay me per diem to be here. I get ten dollars for breakfast, fifteen dollars for lunch, and thirty dollars for dinner. So, oh man, and that'll buy you, uh, I think, a happy meal most of the time. Actually, the restaurants that I found, food prices aren't really that bad here at all. That's well, because you're not eating real food. No, even like the regular restaurants and stuff like that, things aren't that expensive. You're just searching out all the vegan places with your rabbit food and other nonsense. That's what you're doing. Dude, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, really, yeah, everything is comparable here to West Virginia. The food prices and shit, it's really? not much of a difference. Yeah, it's not. Well, maybe that's the competition that's keeping prices down, but I know fuel prices That's are what I was thinking, nuts. the competition. Fuel, yeah, there's a lot fuel prices, of man. competition. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're, what are they there right now? Uh, right now I think two eighty nine or two ninety two. That's like three forty or fifty or I'm surprised. I thought it'd be higher than that. I really did. No, nah, it's like three dollars forty cents. Well, at least you're out and you're exploring and you haven't caught any God knows what disease from anyone or anything. Accidentally Airborne or, AIDS, I have that. You have airborne AIDS. Is it the smog? I think so. Yeah, my I goodness. don't fucking know. The I mean, landing here, you couldn't see the ground, really, to the oh. smog. But supposedly the smog has gotten so much better in the last 10 years. Like, it's night and day. So, you know, we don't really have the, smog here. We really don't have to deal with that. I don't oh. even know what's going to be like breathing a fresh breath of air. When I get back, it's going to be weird. So when do you get back? Um. Well, the fucking lazy-ass dude at our shop that's supposed to set all this training up well, we probably weren't going to have training on Friday, which we're not going to have training on Friday, but our flight does not leave until 11 p.m. Oh, for factor of the jet lag or, you know, the time difference. So you're getting so literally I will be getting. Well, I'll get into, we could fly to Charlotte, from Charlotte to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, we drive from Pittsburgh to Clarksburg, and I drive from Clarksburg to Beckley. Who designed this travel? I mean, you can go know, from, but then, you, can, you can fly from Charleston to Charlotte, Charlotte to L.A. I don't know, but I left my work vehicle in 
um, Clarksburg, so I have to go back and get that. So I'm basically going to have one day back, exactly, and then I think i got to go back to Philly for the fucking rest of the week. Well, that's the most disconcerting thought that I've ever heard. So let's go ahead and switch to better topics. And that is, well, sort of a better topic. We had the, we're boxing people. And we had the Triple G Canelo rematch over the weekend last Saturday. We had, if you if you want to go back and listen to our Watch Party episode from their first fight, it is episode three and it's available on the website and so forth. So go check that out if you'd like. And we were outraged about that decision. Well, people are doubly mad about this decision. And personally, I thought this was a much closer fight than the first one was. But this one's got a I gave ton it to of draw, hype. personally. It's got a bunch of, just a bunch of angry people all over social media and in the, in the general media, in the boxing media, the sports media, all the people in the press. I only found one or two that scored it for Canelo, but we'll talk a little bit about a little bit about that fight here in just a second. I do want to get some business out of the way because we do have good show news. Uh, if you're listening to the show right now, normally I would say you're either listening through a podcast application like Podcast Addict, which I still very much encourage people to use. It's the best podcast management app that you can get. It's what I use for the 30 or 40 podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. Or you're listening through our website, apexlive.fireside.fm. However, in the last eh, two or three weeks, we have made the move to another couple of services that are very podcast-friendly. So if you are a user of iTunes or if you're a user of Spotify, you can get every episode of Apex Live as soon as they are released on both iTunes and Spotify. So especially if you're on iTunes, be sure that you subscribe, leave us a review, give us ratings on the episodes. It helps us a ton. We've already got people who are listening on both iTunes and Spotify. So however you're listening, we want to thank you for that. If you want to reach the show, contact us, reach out to us. We definitely encourage you to do so, and we've got some stuff that we need to read here, but probably not on this episode. We'll do it the next time you're in studio, Steve. Uh, you can email us at apexlivepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, the next time you're here, Steve, we have an audio commentary that was sent in by a listener. Ah, sweet. Who wanted to get some thoughts in audio form and send them in so he could rant for us. And I said, yeah, you go, you go ahead and send it. He asked permission. I said, don't ask permission. Just send the thing. Believe me, we're going to play it. So we'll do that. And we can listen to that and give live reactions to it. Cause I have not listened to it. So I don't know. I don't know in its entirety what it's about or what he says or anything. So it should be interesting. So we'll have that to play as well, but we're really excited about being on iTunes and on Spotify, we're hoping Google Play and Stitcher will happen by the end of the year. We've got to work on some things with that. And we're also working on getting our portable studio. Got to get the equipment purchased and tested and all those things. But that should be coming here in the next month or two as well. So back to the fight. For those who haven't seen it, I'll go ahead and spoil it. Uh, Canelo Alvarez was awarded a majority decision win over Gennady Golovkin, winning four world championship belts in the process. Uh, one judge, I believe it was Glenn Trowbridge, scored the fight 114-114, a draw. Judges Steve Weisfeld and Dave Moretti scored the fight 115-113 for Canelo. So that's 6-6 on one card, seven rounds to five on the other two. Uh, Steve, how'd you score it? Not like that. I had, I mean, I had uh, love coming up by two. I understand if it would be a draw. Um, I gave the first one to Lovekin, and I had him up by four. I didn't see that as a draw, but this was more leaning towards a draw than anything else for me. But 
Well, I it agree. Is what it is. When I was when I was watching the fight, you could see some things happening in the course of this fight, especially in the first three or four rounds, that you just did not see the first time around. I thought that for one, Canelo physically looked like the much smaller man this time, more so than he did last time. He wasn't on fucking roids, so that probably helps. You know, last time he. Last time he had a, a lot more bulk to him, and I really didn't think that he that he had that same bulk this time, but you could see the difference in agility, and I thought that also played a, a role in some tactical things that he did other than that as well. Secondly, and I think, I think this is a major point, the commentary on this fight. I've always been a defender of HBO and of really any of these networks that provide boxing coverage on the highest level. And I do that because without them, you really can't have things at this level, right? Yeah, you have to have hot guys. You have to have good actors. There's never been anybody as good at doing play-by-play for a major boxing event than Jim Lampley. Not ever. He is the best I've ever heard for a big fight situation. That said... I miss Larry Merchant very, very much. I really miss Larry Merchant. And you don't miss Larry Merchant as much until you listen to the internationally televised fellatio that was the Max Kellerman interview with Canelo Alvarez after that fight. Fuck Max Kellerman. I like to find that bitch and beat the fuck out of him. I cannot stand him. It was one of the most just toe-the-company-line don't offend the cash cow interviews I have ever heard to look at someone and say, it seemed like you were winning the story of the fight. I don't even know what that means. What the fuck does that mean? It's, it's a cop out thing to say, I I don't really have to come right out and tell you, I think you lost the fight or it was close. That's his way. I think of saying that it looked like you were winning the fight. Well, that doesn't mean anything, Max. So he says that you won the story of the fight. I had you winning the fight, whatever this same idiot goes on national television on his ESPN show 48 hours later and says that he had it a draw. So which one was it? These kind of things are just in this right here. And I said this on Twitter. I'm back on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter with an account that a certain someone does not know about. I don't follow any of the people that they follow, and I don't follow any of the interests that they follow, because I really don't need them reading my timeline and everything, so I'm just staying hidden. I'm not going to mention any names. I just I, There's no point. But um, I was on there live-tweeting the fight, and I said, you know, and I stick by this. Garbage like this, a lot of people are mad about this decision, Steve. I understand it was a closer fight than last time. But a lot of people are mad about this decision. And the fact that this keeps happening, and it seems like the worst decisions, and this is by no means in the top 500 worst decisions I've ever seen, but the fact that we keep having these kinds of endings in fights where people see the screw job coming, and it happens anyway, and it keeps happening on the biggest stages where people have paid the most money for the right to watch it, that's why people are leaving boxing in droves and not coming back. Can we just throw the whole fucking punch stats out the window and not use them anymore? What's worthless? What, what good are they? 
we're good to, we're good to fucking punch that anymore. There is nothing more. I think that when CompuBox started, and it really started with HBO subcontracting the guys who created it back in the mid '80s. When they did so, they did it more as a scientific exercise than anything. It was more of a statistical approach to what's happening in the fight, not something to analyze what did happen in the fight and what it meant. I thought it was supposed to take the emotions out of the judging. That's just how I feel. Well, the problem is people started to take it as being indicative of what happened in the fight and that you can somehow look at those punched out numbers and glean from it a winner or a loser. And you can't necessarily do that. You actually have to know the sport in order to do that. But when you have a generation of boxing fans who have either based all of their quote unquote knowledge on punched at numbers, or they've decided they're a Floyd Mayweather fan. And because he's never lost and they like him, they suddenly know something about boxing or they've watched every Mike Tyson highlight film on YouTube. And therefore he's the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. When you have a generation full of those people, that's why things like this keep happening. And that's why that's what you're left with inside the sport as a supporter base. And it's just mind-numbing. It's why people will pay. I don't know how much this pay-per-view was. 80 or 90, I think. People will pay 80 or 90 bucks to watch a fight on pay-per-view that has three really good undercard bouts, but they don't care, uh-huh. but they don't care about any of the undercard bouts. They, they, it makes no difference. They're drinking during those fights. So they're basically play, playing $90 for one fight. And they could be going down the street to go watch a club show where you're getting 15 fights, amateur and pro. And they're going to be much better fights. You're supporting local boxing. You're doing something that is good for the sport on the foundational level. And you're doing it for like 20 or 25 bucks, and they won't even go because I'm a Floyd fan first and a boxing fan second. Now, you're not a boxing fan at all. What you are is you're a bandwagon idiot. And that's why local boxing is dying, because they don't realize that without local boxing, there is no big-time boxing. Otherwise, go ahead. That garbage-ass fucking movie that came out that they're trying to get everybody to watch in West Virginia. They have that shit tender or something. Oh, the, um, oh the, the documentary about the uh, the boxing club down in Wyoming County or McDowell County? Yeah, well, that is a that's a documentary that's built around uh, a trainer. Who, town. Well, it's a trainer who we know. He was whenever Dave Markert fought for his for his Appalachian Boxing Association championship, Scott Coon worked. I don't in think he's a good trainer though. But, I don't think he's a good trainer. But Scott worked in our corner, and he helped us out. But I, I don't care. But, oh, I know. But I really don't see... I'm, I'm not seeing why that was the focus of an entire documentary. I willingly admit I've not seen it. And I probably should have watched it. But I haven't seen it. But my concern is... And this is my concern as a West Virginian more than anything else. I get concerned, no matter who's producing it, that you get people that come in here purely to be exploitative to make some sort of production that is more centered around a situation than it is the people. And the people are almost an afterthought, even though they don't present it that way initially. And they make well, it more about the, the mockery personally, but And that's the thing. I don't, I, I haven't seen what it's about. Um, 
I do need to watch it just because I know the, some people that are involved in it. I do need to watch it, but things have been a little crazy for the last three months, three and a half months, whatever. Well, let me know how it is. And I do. I need to see it. I need to watch it. But it's still just kind of – it troubles me when people come in here to do these kinds of things because we have been hit so hard so many times unfairly for absolutely no reason from outsiders who are coming in here to make to basically turn everything and everyone into a punchline that you don't know if you can take them at face value when they say they're going to make something serious. Whether it merits that or not, you just don't know. So they're from California, probably fucking not. Well, I mean, did just we saying. really... Think about this. There's not a person from this state that does not know who Jesco White is. Not one. Oh, yeah, we, had, we were telling people about this shit here. They were, they were going to check that out. But every, everybody knows who Jesco White is. So yeah. why in the world was it necessary for Johnny Knoxville? And I, th- I think the guys at Dick House Productions with Johnny Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine and all those guys, they produce some really funny stuff. I mean, you can't, gr- you can't grow up in the, the era we grew up in and not laugh at, at jackass and all those things. That shit's great. But did we really need another full-length feature film on the whites? No, it was done to come in here and exploit and to just make more fun of everyone else. And that's why people can go out and they can go to school for 12 years and they come out as a very highly rated physician with a specialty that's very difficult. And they can go work in a metro area and they've got to listen to jokes about the whites of West Virginia just because of the state they came from. And it's perpetuating that same thing over and over and over again. There are people who absolutely, when I go, I go a lot of places now for sports and for other things. There are people who absolutely do not believe that I'm from West Virginia because of the way I talk. And I said, what's wrong with the way I talk? Well, well nothing, but you don't, you don't sound like you're from West Virginia. I said, okay, well, tell me, what people from, I said, tell me what people from West Virginia sound like. Because I know people from Mississippi that I can't understand <laughs> when they speak. And you know, maybe it's a radio thing, and I've, I've kind of got that radio voice to me. But I know plenty of people who don't sound like what they expect everyone from West Virginia to sound like. I hate to break this to everyone, but there's white trash and rednecks and hillbillies in all 50 states. Oh, yeah, that's fucking true. All 50 states. They are everywhere. Okay? We may have... Okay, we've got some trailer parks. Have you ever driven through Virginia? How dare anyone anyone from Virginia ever run their mouth about West Virginia? Fuck Virginia. I mean, seriously. Kentucky? (laughs) Okay. We can have this discussion, everyone, but believe me, you're not going to like the results whenever we get to the end of it. And that's what I worry about whenever you can tell they're coming in purely to exploit purely to exploit. And yet there is still such a, a large base of people who are from here. And the state pride in the, in this place is just incredible. And it stays with you when you really understand what this place is about. And that's why you get so many people that, t- that say like my friend Tom did a few years ago. And this quotes never left me. He said, I spent the first 18 years of my life trying to get out of West Virginia and the next 40 years trying to come back home. Cause you don't appreciate it until you get out of it. You know, there are a lot of places that are a lot of fun to visit and a lot of things that are fun to do. But I do think I'd rather come back here in, in a lot of ways. And that doesn't mean I'm going to stay here forever. But think about 
think about 50 states that we have. We have 50 states. In the vast majority of them, you're going to be dealing with earthquakes, hurricanes, huge blizzard conditions, tornadoes. <laughs> I mean, just all of these hor- mudslides, all these horrible things. And what do we get here? A little snow. And if things get really bad weather-wise, there are areas that flood. And our flooding is nothing like the Midwest flooding. So, really, the two safest states in the country are probably West Virginia and Nevada. Yeah, pretty much. We're doing okay here. And the fact that everyone treats us the way that they do in the perception of this state... I'm kind of okay with it in one way because it keeps all of them out. Because I think if they really knew how how incredible it is here, they would come here. And then the the life that you have to live in Fayetteville during rafting season when it's hipster central, it would be like that all the time because everyone would want to come here because it'd be cool to come here. I'm glad they're not here. I don't want them here. I like the fact that if I need to go somewhere quiet, I can find a quiet place here. That's really, really nice. Oh, it's, it's going to be weird coming back. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But it's going to be a good... I haven't been gone two, le- two weeks, but there's so many fucking people. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, but it's a good one. It's a good weird. And I know you're looking forward to getting home, and it's Steph and the kids, and... A return. Well, that's to, been a vacation from them bastards. Oh, I know, but still, still yet, it'll be good to see them again and a return to normality, which you need as well. And I don't know how in the world we got from the Golovkin Canelo rematch to that, but let's try to veer back onto the tracks. Um, I was thinking about uh, the way fucking O'Sullivan got drilled oh, that Lord. beastly left hook, dude. I thought that going into that fight. I picked Lemieux. I, I thought it was an easy pick to pick David Lemieux. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I also thought it was going to be one of those five oh, or yeah. six round knockdown drag outs. Both of them probably taste canvas at some point. And then Lemieux lands a big left hook and knocks him out. And all three commentators are standing up applauding at ringside because of what a great war we just seen. And they're yelling fight of the year candidate. And he goes out and ices him in one round with one left hook. And that that was a statement from David Lemieux, and that's why I think he gets um, he's going to get probably I I don't know it, he might fight Golovkin again. The word right now I don't this is far from confirmed. The word right now is that Canelo said he he's going to be fighting again in December, and the swirling rumors throughout boxing right now is that it's going to be Lemieux and Canelo in December. I'd like to see Lemieux knock him out. That'd be awesome. I would like to see Lemieux go in and lose the first 11 rounds one-sided and then knock him out. See, the problem with Lemieux, he doesn't have that heart. You know, maybe not, but he hangs in. He hangs around. He's not Victor Ortiz. He doesn't quit on his stool. He'll hang in and give it his best. And he did that against Saunders. He was just completely outgunned from a skill standpoint. And we all knew that going in. I just thought Lemieux would eventually catch him with a left hook and knock him out. But I do think he can hang in there with Canelo a little bit if he doesn't get knocked out. And I would just I just think it would be funny for him to lose the first 11 rounds in an absolute landslide. And then get to like a minute left in the fight and land one left hook and knock Canelo out. 
and it would be worth it just for the reaction shots in the crowd. Just to see I don't those know why Canelo is so fucking popular. Like, I don't know why. Well, Canelo is so popular, number one, because he turned pro so early. And, he became and he's a, Irish. He became a superstar so early that he had a little bit of what Delahoya did. Women love him. They do. You know, explain it away however you want. Women love him. And plus, he ran out to that undefeated record that got the numbers so high so fast. The the Mexican boxing community never really embraced Oscar De La Hoya. They never did. And they were starting to kind of maybe embrace him a little bit, and he, he tried to egg it on by coming out with the mariachi band as his entrance music for a few fights, and that's when Larry Merchant said, this sucks, and they suspended him for saying that it sucked. <laughs> but he was right. It does suck. And that's just, that's not entrance music. But in any event, he tried to do that. Well, what happens? He goes and he fights Chavez. And he beats Chavez up and cuts him, and the fight gets stopped after four, and it's anticlimactic. So he has to fight Chavez again. And this time he beats Chavez up for eight rounds, and the great Mexican legend quits on his stool. Julio Cesar Chavez is the most beloved fighter in the history of Mexico. And Mexico's had an amazing storied history in boxing. And he was 89-0 and before he had the draw with Whitaker in 93. And he lost that fight badly and got a gift of a draw in San Antonio. And then I think he got to 93-0-1 or 91-0-1 and got the first official loss against Frankie Randall. But he has this big, long, undefeated record, and he's this beloved forever champion. And De La Hoya, I think, really wanted that mantle. He wanted that fight to be the passing of the torch, and it didn't happen. So Mexico's been wanting that that new favorite son that they can champion. And what what they got in the interim was one of the greatest rivalries in the last 20 years of boxing. And sadly, it was between two of my favorite fighters, Marco Antonio Barrera and Eric Morales. So there was kind of a split loyalty there, one of them from Tijuana, one of them from Mexico City. And then when they went away, now you've got Canelo Alvarez. And they all united behind Canelo. And that's why the payday was so big for the fight with Mayweather. And they're still following him because that's the only loss. And I assure you, I assure you, if this rumored Pacquiao-Mayweather rematch happens, and I cannot believe I have to say that out loud, that it is even a possibility. It's so embarrassing. If it happens and Mayweather wins, the first thing that's going to happen is Canelo's going to start calling him out. I want a rematch. And there ain't no way Floyd is going to fight Canelo Alvarez now. He won that fight the first time because Canelo, quite honestly, we talked about this whenever that fight happened. He was not mentally ready for that fight yet. He just was not mature enough for that. He wasn't mature enough for that fight. And when Floyd started to adapt, he had nothing. This time, he's a different guy. And whether you like him or not, he showed some nuance in this rematch with Golovkin. And he showed the ability to adapt and to add some things. He's going to be a different guy if he goes in and fights a 41 and maybe at that point 42-year-old Mayweather, who is really just fighting. He can talk about money and millions and all that crap. That's funny, yeah. No, he's fighting because there's a Japanese fighter in the low, low weight classes who's 50-0. and 0. So as long as that guy is still fighting, and his name escapes me right now, but as long as he is still fighting and winning and it's extending cheetah, his record, eh, maybe. 
as long as he's still fighting and winning, Floyd is going to have to keep fighting and winning just to extend that record over and over because he wants to have that record and say that he's the one that not only beat Marciano's record, but he's the one who's extended it the furthest. And he, Chavez has already fucking done it. But I'll tell you this, but, but he eventually lost and he didn't retire undefeated after 49. So what's going to happen? I think we're going to see that Pacquiao May- Mayweather rematch in December. I really do think we're going to see it. And it sickens me to say that we're going to see that rematch, but I think we are going to see it. The problem is, we know full well that neither Pacquiao nor Mayweather are the same fighters that they were even when they fought each other a couple years ago. They're not the same as they were then. The problem is Pacquiao and his style, while it is based on speed and angles and things like that, it's also based on power, and power is the last thing to go. Floyd Mayweather's style is every bit timing and reflex. And every time you fight, you're starting to push it a little bit more that those timing and reflexes are not going to be as sharp as they were last time. And he went out against a guy after a year layoff. He fought Andre Berto, and that was a boring 12-round fight. Takes a year off, comes back, and fights Conor McGregor in what was a circus freak sideshow. To this day, I've never watched the entire fight. I was out of town at a Foreigner concert that weekend. And that was a wonderful weekend. I had that was one of the best weekends of my life. Um... No, I'm sorry. That well, I don't think that was the Foreigner concert. That was that was a Brave series in Atlanta, but that was still a great weekend. I remember it vividly. And I was out in the parking lot throwing a baseball at 12 in the morning with someone rather than watching that fight because it was so much of a farce. I didn't even want to support it by watching a stream of it. But I've seen a few highlights of it here and there. And I thought, you know... I understand McGregor is a a talented guy and he's unorthodox and he's strong. Should he be hitting Floyd Mayweather as much as he's hitting Floyd Mayweather right now? I don't think so. And I can guarantee you that considering what Pacquiao, even a fading Pacquiao, just did to Lucas Matisse with a belt on the line, we're going to find out real quick if Pacquiao's shoulder was indeed injured the first time around, and I believe it was. We're going to find out how much of an impact that had. And if you think that anything is going to shake boxing up more so than Floyd Mayweather basically betting on himself one too many times and losing to Manny Pacquiao and losing that zero, I don't know if anything would shake boxing up quite like that, even where they are right now in their careers. So I think this is a very... Very risky move for for Mayweather, more so than he may understand. Because I like that confidence he has in himself. He's arrogant, he's cocky, whatever. But nobody believes in him more than he does. And if he hedges his bet on this and he loses, that's going to shake a lot of things up, Steve. So what do you think? What do you think about the fight? Ah, fuck, man. I don't really like any of them. Either one of them. Um, I don't like Mayweather's style. I think he's fucking boring. Um, I'd like to see Pacquiao beat him up, really knock him out like the second round. That'd be cool. I think, First loss is a knockout. I think that the possibility of Pacquiao winning that fight is much higher than anyone wants to give credit for. Because they're going to base everything on the first fight. He's active, too. I mean, what, I mean he just had a, a real fight. 
But yeah. if, he, if he comes out and he and it's evident early on that that shoulder wasn't 100 percent last time. And even though he's not what he used to be, 2011, 2010, 2011, 2012, whatever, he may not be that anymore, but he's healthy and he's 100% for what he is now. And Mayweather's timing isn't quite what he thinks it is because this is the night he steps through the ropes and he's suddenly old. That ends badly. Because Pacquiao, even not 100%, hit him with a big shot, I think the fifth round of their first fight, and he rattled Floyd bad. And... Matisse is a guy who's known for being fairly durable, and Pacquiao knocked him all over the ring and knocked him out in seven rounds. And Matisse is closer to his prime than Mayweather is to his right now. And I understand their prime levels are very, very far apart. I, I totally get that. But you have to understand who he just beat up and how he did it. Pacquiao, I think at this point, may have more in the tank left than Floyd Mayweather does. And no one's going to say that outright because it's not going to sell the fight. Nobody's going to say that. But I think that's a very distinct possibility. People need to get ready for that. But overall, going back to the Golovkin fight with Canelo, just a couple of, of closing thoughts on that. What I was really impressed with was how Canelo did kind of listen to what was being thrown at him by the Golovkin camp. You need to stand and fight more. We want you to stand in the pocket and fight like a Mexican and all those things. Well, Canelo did it. But what he did was he stayed in the pocket and his very subtle moves and foot placement changes and angle changes, and he would turn at the right spot. He never let Golovkin get his feet set completely to mount that attack. And what that resulted in was Canelo getting on his front foot more and moving Golovkin backward more. And there's it's different whenever you're the one who's changing distance here and there and trying to stay at your optimum range like Golovkin has been a master of. There's a difference between that and being put on your back foot. And Golovkin, early on in that fight, especially, you know, rounds four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there, he looked uncomfortable for the first time in a good long while, Steve. How did you see it? I pretty much saw it the same way. I didn't like that he uh, he didn't push the pace. I mean, I, something about him, he, he should have been Canelo instead of Canelo being Canelo in that one. To me, Golovkin... He looked 36. He took Golovkin's role is what he did. Absolutely, you he know, did. He, he got on the front foot, and he started going forward, and he started dictating the not just the pace of the fight, but the tone of the fight, more or less. So I, I don't know. I mean, supposedly, Sanchez, Abel Sanchez said he Golovkin didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't do what was planned yeah, for that, the fight. That, so, wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all, because something definitely looked off in that fight or in the middle rounds that's usually where Canelo takes his time off and when he didn't slow down like they anticipated Golovkin was just not pushing it like he normally did but whenever you got to rounds 10 11 and 12 I thought Golovkin swept 10 11 and 12 oh yeah I 10 11 12 it was a you know it just it seemed like it was a flip from the first fight you know um so that's where Canelo did good well, and it was, it was the sense of urgency, and it makes you wonder, okay, where was that sense of urgency early on? Because we most definitely did. He had that sense of urgency it. from the beginning of the fucking fight. He, he does that every time. I don't, you know, if you're not going to knock a guy out, you cannot do that well, that's the a, whole fight. That's, a speci- that's especially true in a, in a situation where you know, because of last time, we're not winning a decision. A draw is a win in that situation. Yeah. A draw is a win. 
And this time you get one draw card and you lose seven, five on the other two. This was a much closer fight than it was the first time around. I will give absolute credit on that. I, I thought it was eight, four, the other time, the other time around. And you could have made a case nine, three Golovkin more than you could have made it anything closer for Canelo. This time, I wouldn't have, I'm not going to complain about a draw card. I thought Golovkin won the fight close. I'm not going to complain about a draw. But if you are, if you're applying two things, number one, if you're applying all four scoring criteria and you're applying them the right way, it's going to be hard to find seven rounds to give to Canelo Alvarez. It's yeah, going sure. to be hard to find seven. So that that's one part of it. But number two, you you know, you know that's how it's going to be. So you also have to know that every round that you do win, you have to win it big. And he was winning too many rounds close. And if you get the if you get those close rounds won. That's great. But in a situation like that, the close round's going to go to the other guy because they're going to get fooled by the crowd noise. And that crowd was going nuts every time Canelo landed a big shot on Golovkin's gloves. It was just like last time. I'm glad we didn't have one of those outlying 118-110 scores. I'm glad, fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't have that because that's a, that's a really bad black eye for boxing. She should have won all the poison herself. Well, she very well may have because no one has heard much from her since. You know, I wouldn't let her score a fight in the Minnesota Junior Silver Gloves between two eight-year-olds, much less score a multi-million dollar main event fight. She gets big assignments because of who her husband is. That's the only reason. We talked about that a year ago. And she's probably out fucking uh, living in the Bahamas now in a new house. Oh, are you saying... money should they paid her off with. Yeah, you're saying that maybe Golden Boy Promotions continues to... To maybe have their have their nose in places where it doesn't belong. That's another thing that people. Look at De La Hoya. That dude, like, since he's been promoting, he seems like the slimiest piece of shit ever. Just look at him. Well, he's turned like, in. I, he's turned into the Mexican Don King. It's, look, it's, he's a shit. Take a look at take a look at a, a part of this that no one's really mentioned about this fight yet. Yes. It looks like another instance where Golden Boy Promotions has their cash cow protected in a questionable decision. He doesn't get his second loss. He gets the biggest win of his career. He gets to set up whatever he wants for control at 154 or 160 going forward. He gets four championship belts, all that stuff. He gets to take Golovkin zero, whatever. What no one is paying attention to is there's another golden boy interest that was preserved with this decision. Did you know that? Oh no. Oh no. Bernard Hopkins. Here's why. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. Here's why. Hopkins is a partner in Golden Boy. He he signed with Golden Boy for the last few years of his career after he knocked Delahoya out. Golovkin had tied Hopkins' record for the most consecutive successful title defenses at middleweight with twenty. Had he won this fight, it would have been 21, and he would have held the record on his own. And suddenly Golovkin comes on the bad end of this decision. Go figure. Go figure. And who did De La Hoya fight exclusively for his entire career? Who did Hopkins fight exclusively for from probably 97, 98 until his retirement? HBO. 
and Top Rank is no longer really affiliated with HBO because Top Rank has taken all their business to ESPN. It's the cash cow. Again, follow the money. Am I saying boxing's crooked? Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying boxing's crooked. Oh, it is. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And people think that it's the same as it was in the 1950s when, oh my gosh, the mob is controlling decisions and they're fixing fights. No, that's not what's happening. It's just a bunch of people in suits who are exchanging (laughs) funds. Okay? And I've said this this on this show before, and I've said it on other things. It's people who say things like, is boxing really as corrupt as everyone says it is? No, I'm saying it's worse than everyone says it is. It's 100% worse than anyone thinks. And it's not, everyone sees what they perceive to be corruption on the highest levels of the sport. Wait until you see corruption at a club show where the most anyone's getting paid for the night is 400 bucks. Wait until you see that kind of corruption. I was working as a judge uh, for a pro-am show here in West Virginia, and this has been probably three or four years ago now, maybe longer than that. And I was not the judge in the amateur part of the show. I was the judge for the professional bouts, and there were three or four professional fights. And because the commission was kind of shorthanded that night, I was also working as an inspector and I was checking gloves and checking wraps. And it was good that I was doing it because I reach into one of the pairs of gloves before we hand them out and they were dry rotted. So this is, this is the kind of oversight that we've got going on. So I'm working as a judge that night and I go into the back, into the locker room to check some wraps and check some gloves. And one of the coaches that night who I knew comes up to me and says, you know, we, uh, you know, we're fighting tonight where we got the main event. I said, yeah, I know it's a, should be a, should be an interesting fight. And he said, we know, you know, we're, we're the hometown guy here and close rounds. You just, you know how boxing works close rounds. It goes to the hometown guy. And I said, no, uh, in, in my world of boxing and on my scorecards, the winner of the round gets 10 points and the loser of the round gets nine or less. I don't care where you're from. I'm not scoring it like that. And I got looked at like I was wrong. Like I was who the Who is this? Yeah, yeah I'll, t- I'll tell you who it is off air. Oh, come on, man. Just give me some initials. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you. Who. I'll, if I gave you initials, I don't think you'd know who it was. But oh, okay. it uh, it made me mad. It, ma- it made me lose respect for them a little bit because I you said... Can always, you can always bleep it out, dude. You can tell me to bleep it out. It was... Um, oh, I would fucking doubt that. <laughs> I already knew that. <laughs> He's a piece of shit. Yeah, whatever. And I just went, and I just looked. At it, I was like, no, I, I'm going to score the fight for whoever wins the fight. I'm going to score the round for whoever wins the round. Uh, have you people just completely lost touch with the concept of integrity? That's horrendous. And and what gets me what? is this was a fight in which he should have had absolutely nothing to worry about absolutely no concerns and you're going to approach it like that because you think you need a competitive advantage against a guy that you literally are doing a paid bout for and bringing him in so you can get a W not that the fight's fixed, but you're paying for your own opponent so you can have a fight because you know, you need to get a W and you're going to act like that before the fight. That's the kind of stuff you have to deal with. And if the, if that's happening, because I guess, you know, you felt like there was a level of comfort to come say that or do that. How much is that happening across the board? And this is on a low level. This is a show that probably lost 4000 or $5,000 at the gate. 
there were that few people there. It was that little of a big deal. And you've got that kind of stuff going on behind the scenes. I, I mean, I was furious. And the problem is, you know, I wasn't offered anything. I wasn't told anything, promised anything. So nothing illegal happened. It's just shady. It's just shady. And you don't do that. And it makes you wonder, how much more does it happen? Every day, all day long. It just it, it just bothers me. So you scored the fight. How did, again, I forget, how did you score the fight? I had Canelo down two rounds. That's how I felt. So you had Canelo down two. So you had it 115, 113. Yes. For Golovkin. And I know you yep. had the first fight considerably wider for Golovkin. Well, that was just, it was much more controlled, got touched a lot less. I mean, that's how I, I thought Golovkin won that one. I thought this was at best, you know, maybe it's where I may be, you know, a little bit more biased style, but I would have gave this more of a draw than the first one. And and that's I think that's one thing everyone has really said about this fight. Even if they felt like Golovkin won the fight, they scored it for Golovkin. I wasn't seeing any nine three cards in this in this fight. I was seeing mainly seven fives and a couple of eight fours. And a lot of people saying, I scored it this way. I thought there were some swing rounds. I'm totally fine with a draw. I just don't think Canelo won seven. You weren't he- the first time. You weren't even hearing that. Everyone was just debating how big. Golovkin won the fight. That's all you were hearing the first time around. This time you're hearing some justifications of why a draw is okay. But I still don't think Canelo Alvarez won that fight. And I think this is still more evidence that he has no business fighting at 160 all the time. I think he's still a 154 fighter. And a lot of people disagree with me on that. But I think he's still a 154. I really, really do. But that's just me. What do I know, right? Oh, good grief. Well, we do have one more piece of news before we get out of here. You know, I hate to do this. And when I say I hate to do this, I don't mean it. I don't hate to do this. But, uh, you love to do it. There's uh, something in you hate. I do love to do it. Steve, you know what it's time for. What? It's time for another Virginia Tech update. Oh, shit. As I haven't we, had one of these in a while. As we continue to chronicle the behavior of the Hokies in the greater Blacksburg, Virginia area. You know, usually I would say Dateline Blacksburg, which usually you say that whenever you're talking about a news story that's been printed in a newspaper or sent across the newswire, but really Dateline Blacksburg just sounds like a show on NBC where they investigate all the criminal activity on the Virginia Tech campus. Well, Sports Illustrated has done the work for them. Sports Illustrated is one of the most illustrious, highly regarded publications in the world for the last 50 or 60 years. You know that, Steve. Oh, yeah. I used to subscribe to the magazine like back in the day. Right. Now you just save yourself all the time and go straight to the swimsuit issue, and I don't blame you. Well, That's right. they have produced recently, this article came out about a month ago, almost a month ago today, called the College Football Game Day Safety Report. And what they do in this is they do a breakdown of the undergraduate student body, average game attendance, and the number of total police-related incidents on campus on game day. 
on game day. This is not even the rest of the year. This is only on game day. Now, keep in mind, most major college football programs play six home or play seven home games a year. The smaller schools tend to play six. But most major programs will either play seven home games or they'll play six and then one neutral site game where they get paid a big two and a half or three million dollar guarantee that gives them the same revenue as a home game. Well, in this particular study, Virginia Tech had six home games. And out of the hundreds of Division One, <laughs> I love it. Out of the hundreds of Division I programs that play college football, the number one, number one highest incident rate of crime on a college football campus on game day was NC State, the North Carolina Holy State shit. Wolfpack, with an incident rate, let me see if I can get the exact number, of .858. That's a bunch, Okay. That's out of every 100 students, eight of them get arrested? Uh, basically, the way that this is, I'm, I'm not totally sure how they've calculated this. There's a lot of graphs and everything. I'm just going purely by the incident rate because that's how they're breaking it down. They are located in a city environment because they're in Raleigh, North Carolina. They had six home games that year. And they had an average of 49 police-related incidents per game day. Now, keep in mind that obviously not every criminal incident is being reported to the police. This is just what's being reported to the cops. So the actual number, the prevalent number, is much higher because not everything's getting reported. So NC State is number one with an incident rate of 85.8. Number two is Virginia Tech <laughs> with an incident rate of 0.753. Now, let me tell you why I enjoy this. The main reason is because they like to run their mouth about WVU and how crazy it is and all the trouble. The Virginia Tech incident rate is almost three times higher than that of West Virginia University. Almost three times higher. WVU's, I think, is .26 or something like that. Over six home games... Campus police, this doesn't even include like city police and everything else. This is campus police reported 247 alcohol related incidents, 15 thefts, 10 disorderly incidents, 7 violent incidents, 6 drug related incidents, and 1 property crime. Two of the violent incidences were, guess what? Sexual assault. Is this a one day? This was throughout the total of their six home games in that season. Six? Oh, wow. Six home games, and you had that many. And, and like I said, we're, we're looking at this from a social science statistics standpoint. This is just the number of things that were reported to campus police. This isn't even the real number. And they're number two in the country. Proud of you, Hokies. Goodness, this is why the, the lyrics for their version of Inner Sandman really should be Exit Light, Enter Jail. This is uh, what they do. Six home games, 286 police incidents on campus on game days. In six home games. An average of 48 per day. And that's just what's being reported to campus police. Man. 
That is crazy. Is that at all surprising? No, not really. And this the is sexual assaults. I thought would be a little higher, but well, again, that's just what has been reported to the cops, and that's just campus police. I'm guessing the statutory rate probably doesn't go to campus police. That probably goes to the city, the county, or the states. But nevertheless, number two, and keep in mind, both of those schools are in the ACC, Steve. They're both in the ACC, and they don't play every year because they're in different divisions. So when Virginia Tech plays NC State, they they better call in the National Guard, depending on where they're playing. And if Virginia Tech ever plays Penn State in a bowl game, they can't play that game within 500 feet of a school. That's true. My gosh. Virginia Tech, Baylor. Lock up your kids to hide your wives. Well, Virginia Tech and Baylor could play in the, uh, what, what could we call that bowl game? The uh, the non-consent bowl? Because no means no. They could play in that. And then I don't even want to know what we would call the Virginia Tech-Penn State bowl game. There are a lot of bad names. So the Pedo Bowl, I guess. <laughs> the Pedo Bowl? Yeah, they could play in the They're Pedo fucking, Bowl. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Who, who knows? It's fucking, yeah, the Pedo Bowl sounds pretty good, though. I, yeah, I, think, I don't think they need a sponsor. I don't think they need a sponsor. Because, you know, really, you're not going to get much play if you sponsor. Who's the one that got caught for uh, raping all those kids? What was his name? You're going to have to be more specific. That happened to a lot of people. Well, the one for Penn State, what was his name? Oh, Jerry Sandusky. Should be called the Sandusky Bowl. Could you, you could, yeah, you could call it the Sandusky Bowl, and he could be the honorary captain for both teams, and he could do the coin flip via Skype from prison. That's right. And you know what he always wants? <laughs> tails. Tails. <laughs> he tails. Al- he always calls tails, and they say, Jerry, you don't get to call it, for God's sake. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I didn't really touch anybody. It's like to watch bubbles on my butt to shower. <laughs> hey, Steve, uh, you want to hear one of the most offensive jokes of all time? Go ahead. I apologize in advance for everyone who's going to get pissed off at this, but I've never laughed harder than when I heard this joke. Uh, do you know what is the favorite Bible character of every Catholic priest? <laughs> what? A very young Peter. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible a very young Peter that's fucked up a very young Peter yeah that's the favorite biblical character of every Catholic priest and I can a hear a very people, young Peter I can hear people already pushing stop on the podcast a very young Peter like well, Peter is in penis right yeah, yes thank you Picasso for painting the picture for everyone I think they got it Gracious. I didn't. I had to fucking paint that for myself. Are you kidding? Man, the CTE must be completely out of control. It is real. I have I have the AIDS. I have airborne AIDS. You have airborne AIDS. I told you that. I got airborne AIDS. Yeah. Mr. Johnson told me a secret. He gave me airborne AIDS. I don't even know what to say to that. My gosh. All right. We're going to take a little break just for a second and try to regroup. And we'll, yeah. come back with a, we'll come back with a little bit more of episode 15 of Apex Live right after this. Episode 15 of Apex Live continues. I'm Brad, that's Steve. Say hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. 
vintage. Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Steve all okay, I'll make it short. Steve is all the way out on the West Coast, our temporary West Coast correspondent, as he deals with California as part of his job training. And this is the best phone line that we can get coming out of LA. That's yeah. beautiful, isn't it? Oh my. I thought I would have so much signal like, oh yeah, it's not like Welch, but it's kinda like Welch. <laughs> Wel- Welch with a whole lot more people. Isn't that lovely? So what were you just saying? Yeah. What were you just saying before uh our call was unceremoniously interrupted? Uncircumcisedly honestly. Um that it's the perfect place to be homeless. Oh my lord. Isn't it? Number one, the United. Number one, the U.S. If you're going to be homeless somewhere, be homeless in the United States. If we're going to be honest about it, there are a lot worse places to be homeless. But if you're going to be homeless in the U.S., go to fucking L.A. It's like L.A., San Diego. It's just nice all the time. You don't need a jacket. You could sleep out on the street whenever the fuck you want. It's just perfect. It's beautiful. Not, not it's that, beautiful. Not that that's a life goal. Not that that's something you want to go try to do. But if it's going to happen to you, you may as well go west. You may have to deal with an earthquake. I just found my homeless. I just found my homeless destination. If I ever become homeless, I'm going to get up here and do it. Fuck it. So really, your only trouble would be getting all the way out there. I'd hitch. I'd, I'd, I'd hitch rides. Well, at least you've got a game plan in place already. Yeah, this oh. is the fallback to the fallback. Well, I'm going to give you my gripe <sighs> for the last few days. And this is something that we can probably unpack even more in a later episode, because there's a lot of factors that, that jump into this. But this is something that just... It infuriates me because I encounter it and I see it in certain situations. And I know that you've probably got a hundred things in your head right now as far as what this might be that hasn't that gets me so upset. <laughs> because there are certain hot button issues, but I'll tell you what it is right now. And that is the self checkout line. Oh, I love the self checkout line. I hate it. And it's I'm gonna tell you beautiful. I'm gonna tell you why I hate the self checkout line. I understand that it's being pitched as something that is convenient. But number one, you've got corporations who are using the self-checkout line and its so-called convenience. And they're, us- money. They're, yeah. they're using it as a way to not hire people. Okay. Now, I will be the first to tell you that if I'm at a store and there are three lanes open or four lanes open and each one of them has three or four deep, of people waiting and I've got two items. I mean, I've got a cu- one or two things. I'll go through the self checkout and swipe it and go. That's hostile, dude. I'm a light shopper. I'll get four or five things. I'm not saying in line. I will use self checkout on that. Now, if I have more than that, somebody's going to do the work. Right Sorry. now. If I, exactly. Now, if I go to Kroger and I'm doing now, I love Kroger. Kroger is one of my favorite favorite places. Yeah, Kroger for me is a field trip, and there are only a few people that I know that understand how wonderful it is to go to the grocery store and look around and you see what you can create, and it's fun and it's part of your creative process, and you're figuring out what you're going to buy and what you're going to do with it. There are only two people I know that really get it. One of them is you. That's right. And the other one is Nikki Green. 
Oh, she do. I didn't know she did stuff like that. Nick, Nick, I know she was kind of like into it. We have had this discussion that we not only do we love Kroger, but we like the, the we like one location more than the other here in here in our city. And I we, like the one in Beaver. That's just me. And I'm not surprised. That's the first place you would go. So, <laughs> and not <laughs> and not surprisingly, you don't just buy your food there; you eat it there too. But the, I eat it there too. That's but, right. But the point is, out of out boy, Steve. Eat it, Beaver. But the point is, when I go in there and buy hundred and ten dollars worth of stuff, and I've got a cart full of it, and I've got coupons. Yeah, I use coupons because I'm poor and I want to save money. So when I'm doing all of this, and I'm going to pay with a check, I don't care that it's 1030 at night because I don't want to go when it's crowded. You're open 24 hours. I am not going to go through the self-checkout line, number one, and scan 17 bags worth of stuff and everything else because you don't want to hire somebody to do work. If I wanted to go to work, I would go to work. Okay, I don't want to go somewhere and do the shopping and give you money for me to do work. That pisses me off. I don't like it. And the fact that you're taking jobs and job opportunities away from people just to put the machines in is a very bad thing, Steve. Because of the pre- the Guess precedent what? for that has already been set. The precedent has Guess what's going to happen? Guess what McDonald's is doing? They're doing that with all their uh, order-taking cashiers. They're going to have the cooks in the back. Kind of like how Sheets does. They're getting rid of people, too. Well, I'll tell you what. That is one instance where I'm actually okay with it. And the reason is, somebody's got to put an end to this fight for 15 nonsense. You are working a minimum wage fast food job. You do not get $15 an hour. No. Okay, you don't get the same I want my fucking amount. pay increase. Well, and that's the thing. If you think that that everyone should get this $15 an hour minimum wage, and you don't think that A... Other people up the line that are skilled laborers are not going to get a pay increase, which they should if that happens. You're crazy. What this does is it leads to hyperinflation. And I know that the Bernie Sanders people have no understanding of basic economics, and that's why Bernie Sanders' office continues to this day, this is a true story, to get flooded with people who send him books on basic economics. I love that. I wish I could start sending him books myself. You can't do that and not cause hyperinflation. Well, there are CEOs that just make too much money. Well, welcome to capitalism. I don't care. If they're CEOs, they're going to get paid more. That's, that's my favorite thing every year is the big graph that says, look at the discrepancy between the CEO and the lowest paid laborer. The gap shouldn't be this big. Yeah, it should. Yeah, it should. It should. That's why there's a fucking CEO. Okay. You know, there's a reason why the fourth string punter doesn't touch the ball as much as Antonio Brown for the Steelers. Not everybody gets to touch the ball the same amount of times, and not everybody gets paid the same amount. But when you start to, and and I understand that with the fast food stuff, and considering they screw my order up most of the time, I know that's very cliche and overblown, but it is true. I would rather type it in on the machine myself, and then make sure that they cook it. I'm at least okay with it in that setting. But when you have these types of jobs that are easily accessible, they're always available, and you are trying to turn them into automated, machine-based entities. How exactly are we going to keep going with the with this economy when there are less people working? This is why I think they want a universal basic income, because there's going to be fewer jobs. And that that is a major concern to me. And that's why, if I go to Kroger 
and there's one lane open and there's nine people waiting and I've got a cart full of stuff, I'll wait half an hour in line before I'll go to the self-checkout. You are hired to be here and to check out my groceries, and you're going to do it. You are going to do your job. I am not going to do your job for you when I'm paying for the stuff in my cart. I'm just not going to do it. And I understand that makes me sound like an old, angry white man from the South. But I'm, just, I'm not going to do it. I absolutely refuse to do that. And the more that I go, the more angry I get because I'm just, I refuse to do it. And it pisses me off every time, just like it makes me mad that there are all those self-checkout lanes at Walmart, and then there's all the regular checkout lanes at Walmart, and there's two open. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. That infuriates me, and I just, I'm not going to do it. So th- that is the revolution, is no self-checkout. I know the express lanes, 15 items or less. I think self-checkout should be three items or less. If Sounds have, good to me. Three, you, you know, five items or less, that's good. If you have more than three... My average is five. If you have more than three, or if you have... You know, if you're paying with a check, which, you know, but that's still something that I prefer to do. I like having a, a paper record of what I'm doing. If you're doing things like that, no, someone else needs to go over there and do their job. Okay. And we're already starting to see this automation being put into a lot of areas that would surprise people. You'd be amazed at how many large hospitals have an automated pharmacist. There are hospitals that do not have a pharmacist in the building. They have pharmacy techs. And the pharmacist is a giant machine. And I didn't know about this until our new, our new Georgia correspondent, Melissa, who is a pharmacist, filled me in on this and told me the ins and outs of it. And and she said, and this is such a a salient point, and it may be something that during one of her call-ins that comes up soon, that she can talk about a little bit. She said, think about the job security of this. You cannot make people who have worked this hard to do this much. Number one, you can't make them obsolete. And number two, who's going to do the personal work to check out things on like drug conflicts and, you know, that personalized service that people need whenever they have a problem, who's going to do that? So if you've got that happening in pharmacy, I think that is, that's a public safety concern and they think it's all it's more efficient because the machine doesn't instead of having to pay these people these outlandish salaries well that's still not a good thing it's not a good thing economically and it's not a good thing for that specific industry and how it works that's that's the reason why you've got a car that an american car that should probably cost about seven thousand dollars that costs twenty nine thousand dollars new and it's because the, oh, yeah, the, it's the, the unionized laborers of the auto workers union in Detroit decided that they needed to fleece the corporations that make the cars. And somebody needs to be paid $21 an hour to put windshield wipers on the car. Look, I, I understand. And I agree with the notion of unionized workers, unionized labor in the form. It was originally drafted and intended 120 years ago. Safety. Okay. It was for safety. It was for fairness. I am a thousand percent on board with that. What happened inevitably? The same thing that always happens. It gets corrupted and they turn it into something where now they are the aggressors. Do you think anyone deserves to get paid $21 an hour to put windshield wipers on a car? No. The person. I don't know. The one who, the one who's building the electrical system that goes in the car, pay them a high amount of money. $21 an hour to affix windshield wipers on and send it down the assembly line is egregious. And that's why we have 
the inflation that we have just inside of that industry. I'll give us $16 an hour. How about But think about how many jobs you have done that involved very highly skilled, trained labor, and you didn't even make $16 an hour. That's true. And, And they're sliding the wiper on the car. Go down the line. Do it again. How dare you? And then complain whenever... Someone decides, okay, we're just going to design a machine that does your job, and you can the you you can exit stage left now. See, the fucked up part about that is, still things are crazy expensive. You know, well, of course they are, and they're not going to change because corporate greed is just what it is. You know, well, it, it is the same concept as gas prices. When we were in high school, we could still go out. And get gas even here for a dollar nineteen a gallon. Oh yeah, and you could fill your tank up for fifteen bucks. And it was right after that that we had nine eleven, and then we had the invasion into Iraq, and all of the liberals Hurricane Katrina, and all the liberals started in in two thousand three. No war for oil. It's all about oil. And I said, you know what? That's BS because you apparently don't know how all of this works. But if you think this is a war for oil, we're going to fight and win, and I better be paying the same amount for gas as they do in Venezuela. No, what we got was two and three and four dollars a gallon. And the initial blowback, the initial outrage that we heard, and I, I probably said it at one point, I probably didn't mean it, but I probably said it because everyone else was saying it. And I hadn't, I hadn't taken the right pill from the Matrix yet, so I, I wasn't really going full bore on these things. But the first thing you heard when you know, if gas gets to two fifty, I'm I'm just not going to buy it. I'm just not going to pay for it. I'll walk. I'll do this. I'll carpool. I'm not going to pay it. Well, it didn't go to two fifty. It went to three. Then it went to three fifty. Then it went to four. And you know what people did? They bought it and they put it in their car. Oh, you're not going to. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> And that was the point. They kept saying, I'm not going to do it. And I said, yeah, you are. You are going to do it. You will fucking do it. Because you have to do it. No, I'm not. Watch. And sure enough, well, I do it, but I don't like it. And they do it and they bitch because that's all they ever do. So that, that trend continued. Well, what that did was it told all of these companies, and this is not a surprise, it told all of those companies, well, we can raise it 25, 30 cents in two weeks. And then if we drop it four cents on the next weekend, everyone feels like they're winning and will go out and fill their tanks. And we have never seen it, at least in our mid-Atlantic region. We've not seen it back below $2 a gallon since. If, no. you, if you go into Virginia, and the one thing Virginia does have on us and a lot of other states is they have a very low gas tax. West Virginia and North Carolina both have a very high gas tax. But Virginia and South Carolina is very low. And there have been times where you can drive, and if you're in West Virginia, it's like 230 something a gallon, and you go into Virginia, it's $1.88. And then they wonder why the but, gas station just across the border in West Virginia does no business, and everyone goes another mile and pays 50 cents less a gallon. I used to do it all the time when I lived in Princeton. Absolutely, and that's what you do. So everyone keeps complaining about that. Well, it's the same concept with housing. It's the same concept with car prices and with everything else. We say we're not going to do it. We say it's unacceptable, and then we do it anyway. And I have that problem when it comes to certain other things, because there's one area that we actually do reject it, and it makes me laugh. 
the one area we do reject it is in the renting of buildings for business purposes. Because there will be business owners, like in an uptown area, we have it here in our town, I see it in other places, and you will have a prime business location in downtown on Main Street that will set empty for five years. And people will try to rent it, and the guy will not budge on the monthly rent. So it just stays open, and everyone tells him no. Where all he has to do is say, you know what, I'm going to cut the rent by 25%. And fucking make money. Because I'm pretty sure that 75% of what I wanted is still a lot more than 0% of what I'm demanding. If everyone would stick to their guns on that, we would not have a tenth of the problems that we have in that regard. But I'm afraid at this point, and I'm sure you probably agree, it's irreversible now. Because we've already told them what we're going to set and, set and accept. We've told them what we're going to do. So I don't think we can turn the tide. How about you? I, I don't think so. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it all. I need a break from the chaos. I need a break from the stupidity. And as you know, I've had plenty of both in the, in the, last, in the last three and a half months. But you know what? I think, I think it's done now. I do think it's done now. You know, it went it went down really deep, and then it came back, and then it went down really deep again, and I think it's done now. I think it's done. And that feels nice, because I need a break. And as soon as I say that, it will start back up again. <laughs> it may not. You, know, you have that personality life now, so... Well, and here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. I didn't do any of this. You know, I was, I was on the receiving end of every bit of this. I didn't want this. And you look at it now. Hopefully not anyway. <laughs> well, and it hurts. It hurts a little bit when you realize on certain days there will be something you see, something you hear, something you do. And there's really only one person you want to go tell. Because there's that built-in history and there's that built-in connection. And they're not there anymore. That sucks. Yeah, I totally get that, man. I've been down that way. You know, that's tough. That's a tough thing to do. Um, In in the immediate wake of things, especially when there's a lot of energy in it, your emotions tell you that you want to do a lot of things. It makes you want to grab everything that you have with any attachment to that person and put it in a firing barrel and torch it in your backyard. And give it a Viking funeral and just laugh. And you want to do that until you realize that, A, well, maybe you want to keep some of that stuff. And B, if you... weird, though, right? Yeah, and then B is, you think, okay, let's say I go do that. And it's totally cathartic. And then you go back in the house, and 30 minutes later, it's, okay, well, now what? Now what's the answer? And that sucks. And with that said, and this is not going to be a popular sentiment, this is not going to be a popular statement, but if my phone rang, well, my phone couldn't ring, um, that number's blocked, but, <laughs> and I'm not going to unblock it. Uh, so I guess texts are blocked too. I guess that won't work. I'm just running through this in my head in real time. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a good <laughs> metaphor, a good statement. I'm realizing none of them work. It's like Facebook's They're blocked. They're not working. It's like Facebook's blocked, Messenger's blocked, phone's blocked, text is blocked. 
your mailbox to your house isn't blocked, though. <laughs> no, the mailbox to the house is not blocked. The email is set up. Now, email could work. Uh, the email would get to me. It just kicks back an auto response, but I think it would tell me it's there. But I don't check that account anymore, so I don't know if that would work or not. MySpace. Oh, for God's sake. I do still have a MySpace account, believe it or not. And so does she. She still has a MySpace account. I can't fucking remember, remember my uh, passwords and Nobody shit. I would can. love to get on that. You know, I think I'm going to go retro, and I think I'm just going to revert completely back to ICQ. Because I still remember <laughs> my number. My my number was so early. I can remember the two accounts I had. I had 6489222 and 14954643. I, I remember those. So if I can get that program back, I think I'm going to go back to ICQ and deal with people that have numbers that are like nine digits long. But that would be the perfect secret, you know, clandestine communication method right now, because who in the world would go to that? But there are there are only a couple of ways to, that there would be to make contact. That's like fucking ISIS or something. That's about the only people who use that shit. No, ISIS <laughs> is not using it. ISIS does not use ICQ. I'm sure they've got some encrypted. They've got some encrypted weird program that they use right before we go in and bomb them and kill all of them. Anyway, but there, are, I mean, there are a couple of methods that I think you know if if they really wanted to reach out to me, they could. And I know this isn't a popular sentiment, but if they did, I'd listen. You know, I wouldn't just go completely berserk and say you know GTFO and. And well, that's childish. No, so you it can't is. Do that. Well, and it's the same thing. It's childish, and it would be cathartic. And it's like, okay, now what? Now I've just done what everyone else does, and I've inflicted damage unnecessarily, and with no justification, which is exactly what was done to me over and over again for months. Some of it, I believe, not necessarily intentional. The last couple of them incredibly intentional, directly intentional, um, and unwarranted. And, and that's fine, whatever. I, I shouldn't be too surprised. But would I, would I listen? Yeah, I'd listen. I, I don't know what my reaction would be, but I would listen. And I'm past that. And I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm where I am now. There are still some tough days and I don't say that a lot, but there are, cause I, there are a lot of reminders, but there are still some tough days. But I'm so glad that we are back to this, even if you're in friggin' California. But you'll Better be... California than Welch. Oh, that's true. Better California than Welch. With that said, well, there's no airborne aids in Welch. Now, there's probably airborne fucking hep C and everything else, though. Well, there might be real it's... aids in Welch, but I don't think there's airborne aids in Welch. There's probably more aids in Welch than people realize. <laughs> That's probably true. But West Virginia is the body and Welch is AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that said, I do think um, I do think we have a bright future for our show here in the next couple of months. We have some, I think, really fun guests lined up. We have a couple of on-location shows lined up, provided we can get our portable studio purchased in time. And I'm hoping that we will. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Hopefully soon we're going to be on Google Play and Stitcher. Like I said, we've got some interviews lined up, some guests lined up. Um, I think we've got some interesting topics, some topical shows that we're going to bring in uh, and talk to some people about. 
this is kind of just another one of those. We took another hiatus for a lot of reasons that we really didn't want to have to take a hiatus over, but we did. So now we're just getting the feet wet again and saying, hey, we're still here. We're still alive. We're still producing. And we wanted to There's talk been a lot of shit. There's been a lot of shit that's went on, again, in a small amount of time. One that kind of transcended from one time period to another one. So when it's it just it never you know? stops. And there are people who want to tell you well, that's just part of being an adult and living life. No, this isn't normal. The stuff we deal with is not normal. It's just not. But the good news is we have new correspondents. Like I said, we have Melissa in Georgia as a new correspondent who will be offering her thoughts on God knows what. Uh, we're going to have Lauren in Chicago giving her thoughts on God knows what. Um, Lauren is a very dear friend of mine. She is also the complete diametrical polar opposite of me politically on the spectrum. She is almost, I know she's going to hear this. She's almost a communist. I think, I think she's almost a communist. Are these these apex live juggies? Is that what they're going to be called? (laughs) (laughs) They could be the juggies. Oh my God. They weren't until now. Boy, you've just given me a great marketing idea. Thank you so much. The juggies. So I guess what we're going to do is we need we need to do the fundraiser. We need to keep raising money for the portable studio and the new microphones. And after we get our new studio microphones bi- purchased, I guess our next purchase is going to be a trampoline. Is that it? Fuck yeah. The but they have to be small trampolines, and they can just kind of... Skype in on their trampolines <laughs> with a headset. And it's the Apex Man Show. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> Skype in on your trampoline. That worked. Yeah, you know, you, sir. Usually I'm the idea man. You have produced gold, my friend. Well, we, uh, we, we are most definitely going to do that. And like I said, we also, we've got a list Girls on trampolines. We've got a listener commentary that's been sent in. We love having those because we get to play them and talk about them and and all those things. Um, The person who sent them in, I like them when they're unsolicited. And this was unsolicited, but he asked for my permission to send it in. I said, I don't want to give permission. I just want people to send stuff, you know. I want to be totally surprised. I want want somebody's ear. Like, I want half of an ear or, like... You know, well, I just meant in, this is just an email form. I want people to send it. care. It don't matter. Oh, for send God's it. Sake. There's not much of that going around anymore in our culture. But That's I, why I'm asking for pubes. I understand. But if I, I want to get people to send in these audio commentaries. Don't ask me for permission first. Just send them, and we'll play them. Now, here's the fun part about this. He told, He asked if he could send something in, and I said, sure, send it in, whatever it is. And I said, just I'm not going to listen to it. I'm just going to make sure the format's okay. So I can stream it and play it right into our feed and we can, we can listen to it. And he said, I'm, I'm only going to record a few minutes. And I said, record however much you want. Just talk until you're done and, and we'll let it play as part of the show. So he sends me a message right after that. And he said, by the way, I think this is like 14 minutes long. And when you realize who it is and you realize it's 14 minutes, you're going to go, oh, dear God, what is this going to be? Is this somebody I know? It's somebody you know. Yeah. So, so I like him? Yes. So we are uh, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you it's somebody, you know, and you do like them. So we're going to play that on the show. The next time you are in studio for that episode, we're going to play that. 
and that'll be part of the show. I'm hoping that for the next episode, I can play that as part of the show, and I'm hoping we're going to have a guest in studio, depending on what day it is. So we will have a full complement of people and voices and stuff coming in. I'm hoping we'll have a call-in guest in one of the next couple of shows, too. We've got a couple of on-the-spot interview segments lined up for the next uh, the next two or three episodes as well. We got a couple of guests scheduled from we can run the gamut of different areas. And that's one thing I like about our show, Steve, is that we're not just pigeonholed and specialized. We're not a boxing podcast, even though we talk about boxing on here. We're not just a sports podcast or a politics podcast or a video games podcast. We'll talk about whatever we want. Well, that gives us the ability to interview whoever we want and just talk and let it fly and and see what we can get out there. So it really is a show for everybody, even if we don't necessarily recommend that anyone who's sane listen to it. Because this show is where sanity goes to die. So you have, so do you have do you have any suggestions about what uh, guests? None that are appropriate. Well, I mean, like, that, that's not necessarily. I just want to. I just want to find some like weird fuckers, pretty much. Yes. You know? Some off the wall people with like multiple personalities and shit. Dude, that's us. <laughs> that's us. That's me and you. I know, but but extra ones. Oh, so we need more. You know, so the birds of a, more, the like birds a, of a feather concept, or a pseudo uh, celebrity of some sort. Oh, uh, we can do the pseudo celebrity thing. I'm actually working on maybe getting a person or two that's kind of well known, um, and obviously not super duper celebrity level kind of stuff, but. Um, some other podcasters, hopefully, and maybe some people that are maybe involved in media or entertainment that I may have a connection to or something. So I'm putting it out there. You never know. You can ask a hundred people and one of them might actually just buck up and say yes. And I get to guarantee them, look, this is not going to be. Do you say fuck up or buck up? Buck. That's a hard. (laughs) Gracious. But uh, what, but what what we'll be able to do, and I'm glad about this, is we can guarantee these people. Look, I understand you do interviews. This is not going to be like any other interviews that you do. It's it's just not going to be the standard issue thing because we're going to ask you stuff that might be offensive. We're going to ask you stuff that's off the wall. It's not going to be those those typical cardboard cutout gray bland questions that you've already got the the canned question that you've already got the canned answer that's not what we're about we're not going to do that so i think that kind of brings people in it brings the, i think it brings the interviewer in and gets them personally involved with it the interviewee it brings them in gets them interv- involved with it and then the listener i think they get a lot more out of that as well so Hopefully we can get that done soon. I think the first live show that we do with the portable setup is going to be a lot of fun because we can just grab random people and tell them to sit down in front of the mic. And when you realize that with some people at some of these boxing events, there's really only one person that shows up at the boxing shows that I don't want to let sit down in front of the mic. And I can guarantee you they will not be sitting down in front of the mic on one of our shows. But you know what? If he wants to sit down in front of the microphones and have a chat, we'll talk. And it might get really, really fiery at one point. Would you be for that or against that? Dude, I would fucking, I would ask him questions because he's a piece of shit. And yeah, <laughs> not tell me the piece of shit. And I'm never going to go to his county or there. Actually, I don't know. I think I might be working out there. I need this. Oh. I'm not worried about him anyway. I'll still talk shit to him. Fuck him. No, you know? He's barely human. And he looks like a <laughs> He's dick. a whole shit. He looks like a dick is what he does. 
He is a dick. He is a dick. Well, anything else bugging you? Anything else on your mind before we wrap things up for an episode that's just kind of getting us getting us back into it and getting our feet wet, considering I'm 180 pounds lighter? Um, no, not really. Oh, come on. You, you've been yeah. in L.A. for almost two weeks, and nothing sticks out to you that you feel like we need people to know. Um, Any encounters? Anything you've dealt with in L.A.? Oh, yeah. I, I walked in on a Trump rally. That was kind of cool. Really? Um, there was a guy at the fucking gas station that was yelling at the clerk because he hates brown people. He was like, don't give brown people money. They're the devil and blah, 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 and this and that. He was, I was surprised to see him get in a vehicle and drive. I was like, oh, shit. That dude should be pushing a fucking shopping cart. But Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it scared me to see him get in a vehicle. Okay, favorite thing. Um, favorite thing that you've dealt with in LA. Favorite thing, positive. Favorite thing that I've dealt with in LA. My favorite thing, and this is what we don't have in the supposed friendly state of West Virginia. The clerks and anybody that deals with anybody that is service oriented is fucking super nice, dude. They are super nice here, like genuinely super nice. They're not assholes. We tend to get the we get polarized. We either get super duper nice or just horrible horrible people yeah i mean i've only dealt with people that are nice i mean i have not dealt i've dealt with more nice people here overall than you know per capita for where we're at home that's that is honestly rather shocking to me that's what i'm saying i was i was pretty shocked too i just thought everybody would be completely just big city assholes and this and that which you still have because there's a more of a populace you have a prevalence of assholes but for the vast okay, majority okay. of people that you make. Okay, okay. Hey, stop, 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 stop. You know that I love collective nouns. A gaggle of geese, yeah. an unkindness of ravens, a murder of crows. Yeah. I think it should be a, a United States Congress of clowns. A Congress of clowns. But is it? But is that what it is? Is it a prevalence of assholes? A prevalence of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> that is our that well there it is that's the episode title that's the episode title a prevalence of but whenever if you have like you know just one on one personal interaction here that's what I mean I think people are uh, pretty cool you know I was talking to a couple guys and you know I was at, at the pool and there are a couple guys from Australia and we were talking about differences and where we're at and they were just crazed about us having even BB guns and uh in our hotel, uh, you know, not hotels, but in like just regular stores. Right. I was like, hey, well, where I live, it's completely different from here. You can just go purchase a gun and carry that shit. Oh, and, uh, Australia is a different world entirely when it comes to firearms. Oh yeah, well, I mean, I was like, and you know what, we we have literally or hardly any gun crime where I'm at in my state. You know, well, so well, we don't, but. Then you have the oh. then you have the city with the strictest gun laws on the planet, and they have the most I, the most murder of anywhere in our country, and that would be the lovely well, city of Chicago. We also did find we we had a couple other uh, things that we agreed upon too. We usually doing those kind of crimes, and they're usually from other parts of the countries. So they're different countries, and they have asylum in their country and they're still doing stupid shit. So. No, that's true. You'll have a lot of that. I hope you know. Yeah. I hope she knows this, but when when Lauren does call in, there are going to be some some backhanded Chicago jokes. 
as soon as the call starts. So, uh, you are from Chicago. How many bullets have you dodged today? How many times have you been shot at? Because, I mean, let's face it, you and I are both very conservative libertarian or libertarian conservative based on how you want to flip those terms. She is extremely liberal. So, So, uh, I mean, how does that make sense? Okay, you can feel your world crumbling around you from that from that bullshit. Right. And you still want to hold on to that sinking ship that then makes no sense to me. But it's whatever. The world is lollipop and rainbows and fucking unicorn riding. So whatever. Well I mean that's that's what the liberalism thing is. It's every it, they all want to they don't want to use the word socialism, but they all want to employ these socialist ideals and tactics. And apparently They'll hang out in fucking Venezuela. But they, they never want to read a there. history book. They don't want to read a history book or a newspaper. It's killed a hundred million people in history, and the excuse well, is too. always – what's the excuse every time, though? Well, it's never been done the right way, so we just need well, to keep that's trying the same it. Thing. You're an idiot. Same thing about communism. Communism is a perfect form of fucking government if it's done right, and it never is done right. It's always done fucked up. And you know why? You know, because there always, are people yeah. involved in it. Yeah, but I mean, in theory, that is perfect. You know, everybody's equal and this and that, and nobody gets any more than the other one. And but that's but a bullshit. That's a fairy tale land because there will always be the haves and the have-nots, and there will always be poor people. I hate to break it to all the bleeding heart leftists. There will always be poor people. And, oh yeah, and, sure. And what always gets thrown at me? I did not expect to go down this road right now. What always gets thrown at me because I'm a man of faith. And because I'm a Christian and I love, I love the fact that I can, I call Jesus Christ, my savior. I love that. Very fortunate for that. It's the choice I made. I love when atheist liberals like to throw Jesus in my face. This is the same Jesus in whom they do not believe. Some of them believe that he was just a dude. Some believe that he was just a legend and didn't really exist. They don't believe the Bible is authoritative. They just believe it's a book of stories. And then they want to throw it in my face and tell me what it says. So they use it as this basis of an idea that, well, Jesus was a liberal. Jesus was basically a socialist. And Jesus said this and this and this and this. And I like to remind them, you're, you're not a very good reader, are you? <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus did say to clothe the needy and the poor. He did say to feed the hungry and to take care of the sick. He said all of those things. What he did not say is to allow Rome to steal all of your money before it gets to you, and then redistribute it so Rome is the one that's clothing the needy and the poor and feeding the hungry and taking care of the sick. He was telling individuals to do it. He was telling people to do it, not telling people to give money to the government so they're doing it. Because if you're just giving uh, money to the government so they do it, you aren't doing it anymore. You're, you're defying exactly what Jesus said. You're passing the buck. And in, and in the process, you're giving all of the power to the government. You're living under their thumb. Because now more and more and more and more people are under the government's thumb. These are not difficult concepts to understand, but no one wants to say that because no one, heaven forbid, no one wants to do the work themselves. I'm going to give the money to the government in the form of higher taxes, 
because they are going to give out more food stamps and more free food at all these all these things and all these ways and all these programs. Well, that's a whole lot better than just, you know, going in and maybe buying some food and donating it to the soup kitchen and then volunteering at the soup kitchen. Well, I can't do that. I'm too busy. I have too many things to do. That's not charity. That's government-sponsored theft. And you think it's that's okay? That's what we live in, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's what we do. That That is where we live. Jesus didn't say to give the money to Rome so Rome would care for these people. Jesus said, you do it. And in doing so, you fulfill the will of God. But I love when when liberal atheists tell me what my Bible says and what my Jesus said, and they don't know him or believe in any of it. But they want to tell me about what it says. And they have no clue. It's something to talk about. That's all it is. Well, it, they're trying to, if they try to turn it into a guilt trip to make me feel like an idiot. Don't try to make me feel like an idiot because I will turn it around on you. I was a liberal and a eugenist just probably until I was about 12 years old and I started thinking how fucking Hang stupid on. I was. Hang on. You, yeah. were, you were a liberal and a eugenicist until you were 12? So it started, yeah, be- no. it started before you were 12. Yeah, and this is my point, is that that's childlike thought. Wow. You know? You like, were thinking about fucking, those, but you were thinking about those kind of concepts. I was thinking of overpopulation age. and all kinds of shit. Like, yeah, I was like 10 and shit. Like, I was like, then you know, I started trying to be a little bit smarter about it. I was like, you know what? All that shit's just fucked up. You know, it's just bullshit. So, it is what it is. You were a very thoughtful 12-year-old on some of those very high-level concepts, weren't you? At that point in time, yeah, I think I lost a few brain cells. <laughs> well, I was, yeah, you know, I was on the front page of the paper at eleven years old during the Bush Clinton election in '92, and they came to my elementary school and were talking to kids about all this stuff and just trying to, trying to get a feel for what students were thinking about politics and the election. And you know, half of them are just parroting what they hear at home. And they'll talk to, they pick two kids from each grade, a boy and a girl from each grade. And my history teacher picked me and another girl in my class to represent fifth grade. So you've got all of these, all of these kids talking about all these different things. And it's just so standard and simple. And they're just saying what they've heard at home or for 30 seconds on the news. And they come and ask me and they're expecting the same thing. And the question to me was, what do you think is the most important issue of this upcoming election? And I said, well, I think the most important issue, uh, if Bush can get reelected president, is if they can pass a balanced budget amendment. (laughs) And I'm 11. And this reporter looked at me and said, what? (laughs) What did you say to me? And that was another (laughs) one of those times in, in my life that I thought, you know, maybe I'm wired a little differently than some of these other people. And I was only 11 like, what years did you old. Say? You're 11 years like, old? Get, and you want to know about the balance budget? get free slushies on Friday if Clinton wins. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but they might be spiked if Clinton wins. So I remember that happening. And this reporter kind of looks at me and just said, I think she was trying to call my bluff. And she said, well, can you explain that? And I said, well, yeah, it's it's just basically the idea that whenever that whenever we make our budget, that we're only going to spend as much as we take in. But we're already at a deficit, so it doesn't really make sense. We need to be spending less than what we take in so we can pay down the deficit. 
And I'll look back and see my teacher who nominated me for this, and he's just got his hand over his mouth like, well, he just embarrassed a newspaper reporter. That's going to go over well. Shut the fuck up, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it made him look great. <laughs> you know, it makes him look like... And I, I taught I, this kid this shit. <laughs> well, I say, I say that for a reason, and it's because, number one, he is the best teacher I've ever had in my life. Any school, anything I've ever done, that man is the best teacher I've ever had. And while I was there, I had him for fifth and sixth grade history. And in the two years that I was there, he won the State Farm National Teacher of the Year Award. National. And he deserved it. And he's no longer teaching. He's retired from the school system now. And his name is Drexel Sammons. And I will tell you now, he is not only the best teacher I've ever had in my life, he taught me how to teach just in the way that he did it. And the fact that he's retired now, it makes me sad that there are not kids who are able to be taught by him. That's how good he was. And I had some great teachers in elementary school. I had amazing teachers at Crescent. They were highly rated. They still are now, and they were fantastic. But Mr. Sammons was a totally different level of brilliant. I don't think he liked Dave. Dave thinks that he didn't like him, but I think maybe Dave gave him a reason not to like him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So we might have to ask Dave about that. And we would ask Dave about that. But Dave, as we established on one of our earlier episodes, won't answer his phone whenever we call him to uh, to talk to him on the show. Because we ambushed him once. And then the next time when Jake was here, we tried to call. He wouldn't answer his phone. So that's why he had to be called a coward for not answering his phone. And that's just how things are going to be until he decides to answer his phone and talk to us again. <laughs> well, I think we're back on our feet. Don't you? Yeah. Always, we always get back to our feet. Oh my gosh. Episode 15 is in the books. 16 is just around the corner, I'm sure, and we will have so much to talk about on 16. I'm already working on guests, working on some show notes. Hey, whatever happened to that whole Las Vegas shooting? You notice how everything about that just sort of went away? I don't know anything about it. I don't know about it. When did that happen? Well, it happened like a year and a half ago, and all those oh yeah yeah, yeah and all the, all the people got shot, and then nobody ever figured out the truth behind all the weird inconsistencies, and nobody ever brought it up again. It's amazing how those things just, just disappear. Swept under the Mandela, rug. the Mandela effect sucked it all up. Strikes again. Just a just a friendly reminder, everybody. Now more than ever, betrayal never comes from your enemies. Watch your six. Forgiveness is good, and so are second chances. Make sure the second chance is something that pays off and isn't something that burns you. Choose wisely. Be smart. Watch yourself. And most of all, be very careful about who you hand a knife to in this world. Never know who might use it. Steve, thank you, my friend. Thanks, man. Until next time. I'm Brad, that's Steve. This has been Apex Live. Good night, America. Wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs>